four, pre-K four through third grade. Uh, and if you're fourth or fifth grade or 69 years old and still want something to doodle with, there are clipboards in the foyer that have some of the same activities and listening guides. Um, if you want, want to do that, you may. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we're in chapter 15 this morning. First Kings 15, 9 through 22, we're looking at the cost of godliness. Before we get into that, uh, our celebrations for this week, um, our final hurricane repairs are approved, and y'all are thinking, I thought we were done with that. Well, you start looking closely, you find some things that still need to be done, and uh, we, we've gotten final approval for that. We sent the last check off to Paul Davis. Um, the reconstruction company so th those are going to be done in the next few weeks and then then at least everything that they're doing will be completed and we will we'll have that done uh we had a, a great time at the convention i didn't talk about it much last week because uh uh perry hancock was here and i didn't want to take any of his time but we had a, a great convention that uh we got to go to there i believe the right decisions were made and the right people were elected and put into office, so I'm very confident and excited about where our Southern Baptist Convention is going. We are going to talk about that next Sunday night at 10, uh, 10 p.m. I don't think I'd have too many people. Um, at 5 p.m. next Sunday night, uh, we're going to do that in the sanctuary. I'd planned on it over there in the activity center, but uh, if you saw the first announcement, that's what it said, but it's going to be here in the sanctuary and we'll have our ice cream over there or maybe here in the foyer, who knows. Um, we had, a, on average-ish, about 65 people at our family VBS this week. Um, we had some families that had come, I believe, for the first time uh, that uh, really enjoyed it, and uh, we're excited that we got to reach out in that way and, and continue to equip our parents to be the primary disciple uh, makers of their the primary disciplers of their children. Um, with all of our celebrations, there, there's going to be usually something that's not so celebratory. Our giving in June was horrible. Uh, summer always goes down giving-wise. Our giving goes down in the summer, and it's our most expensive season. Our expenditures always go up, and it usually balances itself out in November, December. That's just kind of the way church budgets work. But uh, just to let you know, June was tough, so if you've traveled and you, you didn't get your, your tithe in, let me encourage you to catch up, because we were down ten dollars to $12,000 last month, and that's a, that's a big chunk of change when you're paying bills that go up during the summer. Uh, power bills, y'all know, power bills are crazy right now. So, uh, not as celebratory, but the celebration is that we know God is in control. And he's going to take care of us and provide everything that we need. But you're the ones through whom he provides. So letting you know what's going on. All right, our memory verse that we haven't done by memory yet. Uh, we're, gonna, we're taking out some words, and Etta was nice to us this week. They're, they're the easier words. Uh, she didn't take out, you know, 
does and prepositions and that sort of thing. So let's say it together and go ahead if you need it. You know, you got your cheat card. I got mine. Uh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. 1 Kings 8, 23. It's singular heart, by the way, not plural hearts. I heard some S's at the end of that. All right. By the end of this summer, we're going to have this one. This is not going to be a problem at all. 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 9 through 22. The, the cost of godliness. Now, as I said before we left, in, in the, mes the first message from Kings, that we... We find a mixed bag in the book of Kings. They, uh, failure and faithfulness. That, that's the title of the entire series, First and Second Kings. Failure and faithfulness. It's just back and forth, one after the other. We find most of the faithfulness in the southern kingdom, Judah. That's what we're focusing on today. Most of the failure in the northern kingdom. But neither group has a monopoly on either. Of those, they they ha all had some bad ones, some more than others, and they all had a few good ones, some more than others. Remember that we're in two kingdoms now. We've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, because Solomon lost the kingdom. He, he uh, it was split into two, and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were in the south, and the other ten tribes went to the north. Jeroboam was the first king in the north, and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was the first king in the south. This morning, we are talking about the first, uh, the, the kingdom in the south, and I think we're to Solomon's, what did we say, at a great-grandson uh, is Asa? Well, we'll see. The, the messages that we missed while I was gone, uh, the, the readings that you did, but the, we didn't preach, have any messages preached on it, 1 Kings 8, 46 through 60, uh, Solomon, at the consecration of the temple, offers prayers for when Judah, or when Israel, at that time still one kingdom, falls into sin. This is how you pray about that. Lord, uh, convict us and, and help us come out of it. And uh, he had some, uh, some great, great passages, some great phrases in there, if I can turn to it while I talk. Um, you know, there's no one who does not sin. Uh, when they come to their senses in the land where they were deported and repent and they say we've sinned and forgive them and come back to them, basically like we sang this morning. It's almost like Solomon knew what was going to happen, and I, I really think most of us know what's going to happen. Most of us know what's going to happen in our own lives. We're going to sin. We're going to fail. It's why Solomon didn't say in uh, the beginning of his prayer, if, right? He said, when, when they sin against you. He could have just said, when I sin against you. Because Solomon, for all of his wisdom, for all of his power and wealth, and for all the great things he did, the man had some major blind spots, major, major failures in his life. 
We see that in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 13, which would have been the, the next Sunday uh, that, that I was gone. Uh, Solomon is himself unfaithful to God. He doesn't, he, he, he takes foreign wives, he allows their false religion in and allows it to spread and for the people to follow these uh, ladies, these queens, sub-queens, whatever he, whatever he called them. Um, and Solomon even follows in that, especially in his old age. He is not everything he should have been. And we see that the parent has a dramatic effect on the faithfulness of the child. David raised Solomon right. He also raised Rehoboam right. He also raised Absalom, who revolted against David, right. They were raised in the right way. He did the right things. If we go back to the end of David's life, though, we find him hands-off with his children, distracted by, ooh, wow, I don't know what I did. I don't think I did. Okay, we got it. Uh, distracted by the... The, the problems in the kingdom, whatever it was, he had not been consistently the father that he needed to be. He, he wasn't a great dad. Y'all, this is why we have family VBS. It's is why we say that parents are the primary disciplers of their children. Uh, we, as a church, as, as children's ministries and youth ministries, get your kids for a couple hours a week Maybe, but you're with them all the time that they're not in school and you're at work. We don't get enough time to disciple them the way they should. I, we as a church, don't get enough time with you to disciple them. This is why we give you the readings during the week. This is why we give you the D-group questions during the week so that you are reading Scripture, you're thinking about Scripture, you're studying Scripture, you are discipling yourself. It makes a difference how your parents raise you. Well, sometimes the curse is broken. Sometimes the kid does better than the dad. I want all four of my kids to be better than me, to do better than me. If any of the four of them go into the ministry, I want them to be better ministers in whatever they're doing than I am. I want them to outdo me, and I will be happy if they do, and most of us want that. In this case, Asa, we see his faithfulness. We always also see his failure, but he outdoes his parents and grandparents Big time. 1 Kings 15, 9 through 22. In the 20th year of, of Israel's king Jeroboam, Asa became king of Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Maacah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the Lord's sight, as his ancestor David had done. He banished the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all of the idols that his father had made. He also removed his grandmother, Maacah, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. Asa chopped down her obscene image and burned it in the Kidron Valley. The high places were not taken away, but Asa was wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his entire life. 
He brought his father's consecrated gifts and his own consecrated gifts into the Lord's temple, silver, gold, and utensils. There was war between Asa and King Baasha of Israel throughout their reigns. Israel's King Baasha went to war against Judah. He built Ramah in order to keep anyone from leaving or or coming to King Asa of Judah. So Asa withdrew all the silver and gold that remained in the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the royal palace and gave it to his servants. Then King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, son of uh, Tabramon, son of Hezion, let me get my line right, there we go, Hezion, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you a gift of silver and gold. Go and break your treaty. I'm going to say Tweety every time, apparently, and y'all are going to think of a little yellow bird. Go and break your treaty with King Baasha of Israel so that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel-Beth-Maaka, Al-Chinnereth, and the whole land of Naphtali. When Baasha heard about it, he quit building Ramah and stayed in Tirzah. Then King Asa gave a command to everyone without exception in Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timbers Baasha had built it with. Then King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah with them. If y'all want to correct me on any of those names, just do it after the service. Don't try to do it right now. So we see this, this faithfulness of Asa. We see him come out swinging, he is, if I remember correctly, he is the longest-lived, uh, longest-ruling uh, king in the southern kingdom of Judah. Forty-one years he, he rules. Um, he comes out, and he immediately begins to undo the things that his father had done. It, it says in the, the first of the chapter, he, or the first of the passage, He did what was right in the Lord's sight, as his ancestor David had done. I want to stop there for just a second. David was a sinner, wasn't he? This is yes. This is no, but I shouldn't see any of that. He was. Egregious. Bathsheba, Uriah. Anybody remember those two? Uh, I already talked about how he had extreme difficulty with his kids, especially as they got older. probably wasn't helped by the fact that he had a number of wives as well, and those wives all had some different views. I mean, there's a reason it's one man and one woman. If you you are, even if you have a a blended family, you see that, right? Just in your uh, your own situation. Imagine if the blended family was all in one house. You had those same differing views, those same differing uh, worldviews, sets of values, and you're trying to raise a family. In, well, that's, that's what David was dealing with. And yet, he is called faithful. He is called one who had done what was right in the Lord's sight, as we discussed in our Connect group this morning. Primarily, that was because of David's attitude when he got caught in sin. He knew he was a sinner, and then you have something like Psalm uh, 51, I believe, that he, uh, 
Uh, Etta's writing a paper on it, I think, right, or about to, so that's why I was looking at her, because we've been talking about it. We, he, he writes this confession about what he had done. That's the kind of guy Asa was. Asa wasn't perfect. None of us are, but, but we all know those fellow believers that we know, that we sit back and we could say of them, man, they are doing what is right in the Lord's sight. We've known them their entire lives, and they have always done what was right in the Lord's sight. Does that mean they were perfect? No, and if you talk to them, they would absolutely tell you they were not perfect, but we still know where their heart was. They, they began well, they, they, they served well, and they ended well. What does it look like, then, to be godly, to uh, be someone who, like David, did what was right in the Lord's sight? There is a cost to it. There is a cost to godliness. We don't just get to be godly in a world that isn't godly, and it just works out perfectly every time, and it's easy. And, wow, that boy, being a Christian, that's the easy. I wish I'd done that a long time ago. This is so simple. That ain't nobody that's talking about being a Christian. Paul, he sums it up probably the best. What I want to do, I don't want to do, and what I, want do, uh, what I don't want to do, I do. What I want to do, I don't want to do. And what I don't want to do, I do. That's my life, he says. That's my life as a believer. That's his life as the number one missionary ever. The, the biggest writer of the New Testament. I just fail at it. Godliness costs. And we see in the life of Asa what godliness costs. We see the first thing that he did in verse 12, we have to remove sin. It does, we don't get Asa's uh, conversion story. We don't know if he uh, followed the Lord from you know, the time he was a child. Was it, was it some priests in the, in the king's court that raised him correctly? It is not easy to go against mama and daddy, especially when you are being raised and groomed to take the throne from your dad and your dad is not godly how in the world did he end up that way well ultimately it's the sovereign hand of god but we know that the sovereign hand of god used people in ace's life had to have we just don't know so he gets to the point where he finally can make the changes because he is the king and he does. He makes the changes. He removes the sin from the kingdom of Judah. He says, it says he banished the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all of the idols that his fathers had made. Now, fathers, plural. This is not a super progressive story in the Bible where Asa had two dads. He's talking about his ancestors, all of his fathers, going all the way back Solomon, who didn't tear the stuff down. Rehoboam, who didn't tear the stuff down. Uh, his dad, uh, who did I say it was? Uh, Ab Abishalom, who didn't tear the stuff down. And now Asa. He tears the stuff down. If we are going to be godly, if we are going to follow God, some things have to go. 
Well, that's one of our first big hang-ups. The gospel message can go to someone who's never heard the gospel message before. And, and, and they hear it, and the Holy Spirit works on their heart, and they go, I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was looking for, but that's what I've been looking for. That is what I need. I, I know that. And then the Holy Spirit starts to work on them about what they need to get rid of in their lives, and they're, hold up. And the Holy Spirit uses Scripture, uses preaching, uses discipleship, other believers, and and. Wait, I've got to stop doing that? Yeah. But I'm already saved. Well, yeah, that is true. You are. But in response to that salvation, you, you are justified, right? That's your salvation. But God wants to make you holy. Wants you to make wants to make you more like him. That's the process of being a Christian. Sanctification. That is the removal of sin from our lives. And that's what Asa sets about to do. Remove the sin from the lives of uh, the, his fellow Judeans. To follow God, some things have to go. Sometimes those things are going to be vestiges of past sin. They're going to be things that, oh, I don't do that anymore, but I've got some monuments to it. Asa could have said, you know what, it's not a big deal that we have the Asherah poles. It's not a big deal that, that we have the high places. And it appears that at some point he stopped tearing down all the high places. He could, say, could have said, it's not a big deal that we have those things. The people are following the Lord. They're following me, follow the Lord. So we don't have to get rid of all this stuff. But he knew if these things stay there, these vestiges of past sin could be and will be a temptation to return. So he tears them down. He gets rid of them. I don't know what that means in your life. I don't know what stuff it is in your life that you have to get rid of in order to be more godly, but I guarantee you there is something in your life, some vestige of a past or even current sin, that you should be removing so that it is no longer a temptation. It is no longer a draw to your fleshliness because what I want to do I don't do and what I don't want to do I do and if I put something in front of me that is an attraction toward what I don't want to do or shouldn't be doing but probably still kind of do want to do that's just going to make it more difficult on me well, God knows that. That, that. That's why we are told in Corinthians that no temptation has befallen you, uh, but what that which is common to man. But in every temptation, God provides a way out. Sometimes that way out is to get rid of the temptation before it ever happens. If you're an alcoholic, you don't go back in the bar. You know, if 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 if, if lust is your issue, you, you don't have the channels. If, if, if smoking is a problem for you and you know it's an idol, you don't go around people that do it because I've never been a smoker. I, I don't understand it, but I know that for some people, boy, you get that whiff. And that whatever God has called you to tear down and throw away, you can't build a monument to it and say, well, I'm just going to keep this right here just kind of as a memory. It doesn't work. You're not going to be able 
to withstand it. So Asa comes in, and part of godliness is to remove sin. He could have left all that and said, but I am godly. I'm not doing those things, so y'all follow me. But that's not leadership. Leadership says we're going to remove the things that are ungodly so that they're not a problem anymore. It doesn't even appear ungodly. It's great to have godly leadership. It's great to have leadership that follows the Lord and has counted the cost of godliness and is willing to pay the cost. But until leadership is willing to pay the cost for everyone, it's going to be difficult for anyone to follow that godliness. Leaders have to make the hard decisions to get rid of things that are contributing to a lack of godliness and bring in those things that are uh, contributing to godliness. Number one, you've got to remove sin. Number two, you lose family. This is, this is no shock here. Jesus said, I, I've come to split up households. it's going to happen. He he tells them, one guy, well, I've got to bury my my family. Let, let Let them deal with that. You have a greater calling and a greater purpose. You're going to have to lose family. Asa did it. Verse 13, he also removed his grandmother, Maaka, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. Asa chopped down her obscene image and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Again, in Connect Group, can you imagine the conversation? We talked about, can you imagine the conversation? For me, hey, Nana, uh, or mother, hey, Mamaw, you know that pole? You, because you still have that, <coughs> you're out. She could have just torn it down. I, I, or rather, he could have just torn it down. He could have put it away quietly and, and just said, all right, we're just going to get this down. We'll put it in. Don't, no, y'all don't tell Nana. She, shh, it's gone. We're good. No problem. He had to lose family over godliness. It will cost you your relationships to follow God. And your family might not be blood, it might be friends, it might be allegiances, it might be alliances, who knows who it might be, but we're not just talking about material possessions, we're not talking about stuff, because I think most of us will be willing to get rid of at least most, if not all, of the stuff that might distract us. But when we're talking about getting rid of people, then suddenly we say things like, well, they're blood, I can't do that. Or we're much more noble and say, well, I need to have an opportunity to witness to them, an opportunity to influence them positively. The most positive influence we can have sometimes is removal. Uh, our, removing our lives from theirs. No longer associating with them. That does not mean that we never, ever have to do anything with them. You may not have to ban them like Asa did, but Asa knew if he did not remove Maaka from her place of influence, then she would always have influence. 
as queen mother, she carried some royal privileges. And it was always, well, Asa's, it could have been anyway, Asa's our king, but she's the, the first king's mama, so we're going to listen to her. She's still doing everything. She's still going to Asherah church. Why can't we go to Asherah church? So Asa has to remove her. Again, Jesus said he was going to divide families. You may have to. You will have to remove those who are not a godly influence on your lives. Some of you may have to do it for your kids. It may be the case that, yes, you can uh, resist the influence of the family member. doesn't bother you at all. But when you're 4, 5, 6, 8, 12, 13-year-old looks up to uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so and think they're just the greatest people ever, but you know they are not. You know they do not have uh, a heart for the Lord. They don't do what is right in the Lord's sight. You may have to and you will have to make the hard decision to lose family. They're not going to like you for it. The friends that you leave aren't going to like you for it. The alliances or the allegiances aren't going to like you for it. They're going to tell you that you've gone liberal or you've gone fundamentalist or whatever side they're on, they're going to say you're the extreme. And we are in such a polarized society now that they will then make you the enemy. You don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be angry about it. You, you don't have to... Uh, Go off on them. You just have to say, this is not where we need to be as a family. And as long as you're in this situation, you are living like this, you can't, we, we can't have anything to do with you. Sometimes, though, it has to be public. Look what Asa did. He not only removed her, which is very public for a royal family, but he also took her Asherah pole, and he took it down in the Kidron Valley. He chopped it down, hauled off in the valley, and burned it in front of, the, uh, in front of God and everybody. That's public, y'all. But it had to be done. Why? Because his family publicly did not follow the Lord. Yo, Uncle Pookie or Aunt Ray Ray, um, they, nobody may know them, all right? So, so it's not a, you don't have to put on Facebook, I hereby denounce Uncle Pookie in all his ways. You know, you don't have to do all that. Some of y'all do anyway, but you don't have to. You just need to pull the family out. But sometimes when your family is a known family, if, if your family's ways are common knowledge to so many people, you may have to publicly say, that ain't us. As a matter of fact, we have removed ourselves from that. That group that I was a part of, I no longer am. That, that, that allegiance that I used to have, I no longer have. I, I have had to do it in my life. Not family, well, some, but my allegiances... When, when I came at the age of 24, 5, 6, came to realize how deeply embedded and ingrained my racism was. I had to physically remove myself from situations where it only fed that. 
I had to be public about who I no longer associated with, groups. I was never a part of the Klan, but I got their propaganda thrown in my driveway living in Livingston Parish. I was extremely close to it. It would have been easy. I have to be very public about what I no longer am because of how public I was about what I was. And so it has to be a public declaration in those cases. You're going to lose family, friends, associations if you are going to be godly. If you don't, I'm not sure how hard you're trying to be godly. Because if you're not losing them, and, but how do I influence them? Same way uh, Paul tells us and Jesus tells us in handling church members who are living in sin. You put them out. And it is that very act of putting them out that should wake them up and tell them that they are not where they need to be as far as the Lord is concerned. And that will elicit change. But if it doesn't, that's on them. You haven't given up your influence You've done what the Bible told you to do. Third, you're gonna, we have to know that the cost of godliness is not just uh, to remove sin. It's not just uh, losing family. But the cost of godliness is open hands. Verse 15 tells us that Asa tells all, takes all the, the treasures and the, the consecrated uh, instruments gifts, the, the gold, uh, silver, utensils of his father or father's and his, and he puts them back in the temple. This is Asa understanding we have not handled our good things. Now, this isn't number one. This isn't the removal of sin. This isn't the getting rid of things that, that are sinful, or cause you to sin. This is those good things that no longer belong to me, but belong to the Lord. For us, in this day, it would be our 10%, our tithe, our offerings, those things that God tells us to give to Him, to the church. Those are no longer ours. I've been in the situation where I would say, well, you know, the bills are just too much this month, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of stack my tithe for a little while. You know, I, I'm keeping track of how much I owe. I, it, here's an IOU, Lord. It, it is, those are as good as cash. Uh, I owe you, God, whatever the amount. And right there, right there on the desk. And, I'm, and it's amazing how hard it gets to meet that as that IOU builds up. But at some point, and at every point, I have been able to come back and fulfill that IOU. I do not recommend that at all. But that's what Asa was doing. Lord, we owe you these things. These are yours. So we are coming to you with open hands to give you the stuff that we think we need, that we find valuable, but in fact is yours already. Let's real quick, every one of you, holler out everything that God does not own. One, two, three, every, just to holler it out. Everything God doesn't own. One, two, three, everybody, go. One, two, three. I heard nothing, and the rest of you said, well, I, I can't say nothing. I can't say anything. You could have said nothing. That's confusing. 
Anyway, he's right and y'all are right. It's all God's. And God says, now, I've given you all this. You give me back what I've told you to give me. And you'll you'll be surprised how much more you can do on 90% than you could have done on the 100%. We must be willing to give everything up. We go all the way back to Abraham. Isaac. Your son, your only son, take him up and sacrifice him to me. Give him to me. God, he's my everything. I mean, this is what I've waited for for 100 years. Now it's 114 because the kid's 14 years old or so. What? Give him to me. Open hands. Asa takes the, the stuff that was already the Lord's that they had not been faithful with, and they give it back to him. They give it to him. You've got to be willing to do it. Jesus told us, you've got to be willing to count the cost. Count the cost of following me. And you know what the cost is? You, you know how he laid it out? Take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, take up your nice house. He didn't take up the new car. He didn't t- say, take up the good job. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't ask for anything from us. That's already been covered in Scripture. He says, take your cross and follow me. The rest of it's God's. The rest of it we don't bring to the relationship. We come empty-handed and open-handed and say, Lord, we follow you. And he says, great. Pick up your cross, leave everything else, pick up your cross, and follow me. The rich young ruler said, oh, Lord, I, I do all the commandments. I, what, you know, what, what, well, he said, what should I do to have eternal life? And well, he said, honor your mother, and you, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And he, oh, pfft, I do that, Jesus, I'm good at all that. And he said, oh, yeah, you do, right, sell everything you have and follow me. Leave it all behind. Take up your cross and leave everything else. And homeboy went away sad because he was very rich. I can't leave it all behind. Was Asa leaving it all behind? I believe at this point in his life, if God had said, give up your kingdom, because Asa's following him wholeheartedly, Asa would have said, yeah, all right, it's all yours anyway. You, the king, it's, it's, it's not mine. Lastly, the cost of godliness is to remove sin, it's to to lose family, it's to have open hands, and it is to remain faithful. This is where Asa got squishy. We're about the 36th year of his faithful, peaceful 41-year reign in verse 18 and verse 23. Verse 18, it says... So Asa withdrew all the silver and gold that remained in the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the royal palace and gave it to his servants. Now hold on. If we skip a couple of verses, if we skip 16 and 17 just for fun, we only talk about what's going on in the background, the war with the northern kingdom and his idea to pay off the uh, king of Assyria. To, to help him fight 
If we just skip those two verses, we see that Asa comes at the beginning of his reign with all the stuff that belongs to God and says, here you go, Lord, it's yours, silver, gold, utensils, my, my grandpa's, and, and, and he didn't give it to you like he's supposed to, and daddy didn't give it to you like he's supposed to, I'm giving you theirs and mine. I'm, it's done, I'm yours, 36 years later. Thanks, God, for holding on to that to me, I need you right now. Woo-hoo-hoo. And he goes to the king of Assyria. We can read a little more about this in Chronicles, uh, 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. He goes and he gets the utensils and he, he, he takes what's God's to pay someone to help him protect what is God's. Let, let's do that math one more time. God, you need help, apparently. To protect, this is yours. I have followed you for 36 years of my life. I have been your king over Judah. I have followed you wholeheartedly. I've been just like David is what they're saying about me. You have taken care of me. We have had peace in the kingdom. We have had a a faithful uh, reign, a faithful reign to you. We have worshipped you. We've gotten rid of all the idols. We've gotten rid of most of the high places. Lord, we have followed you. But I need to stop right now because Israel's being jerks. And they're building up on the border up here, actually on our side of the border. They're building city, fortifying cities up there around Bethlehem. And you know that's only about five miles from Jerusalem. That's just right there. I, I need help, Lord. But not from you. From a worldly kingdom. The help I need from you, God, is I need you to let me take those things that are yours that you told me to give to you that I gave to you. I need you to let me take those back and go and buy this man who's really an enemy of ours anyway, but you know we're kind of on good terms right now, so let's see if we can keep that going. To protect you. The cost of of godliness is to remain faithful. Consistency is never easy. But consistency is even harder when things are easy. When things are going well. And and maybe you're thinking, that's not true. It is. When's it easier for you to pray and make promises to God? And you know the promises I'm talking about. Lord, if you'll just get me out of this, I promise I'll go to church all the time. Lord, if you will just give me a good job that pays well, I will tithe to you forever. I'll never not hold. Y'all know I ain't lying. But when things are going good, Lord, I thank you for this good job that lets me go on a really big vacation. And, oh, did I miss a tithe? Well, Lord, I know you want to bless me with a good vacation, so it's okay. It it is harder to be consistent when things are going easy. When things are going bad, oh, we're all about the altar. We're all about the praying and making promises and deals and giving stuff back. Oh, I didn't, oh, here's, well, I didn't know I took that from you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, here, do you want something else? Just... Fix this, please. Consistency is never easy. He, he goes and he buys help from another king. 
instead of going to the true king of his kingdom, which was God. But, but it doesn't just stop there. Verse 18, it, 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 he, he sells the, he gets all the treasury, he sends the servants to Ben-Hadad in, uh, uh, in Syria, not in Assyria, I'm sorry, Damascus, Syria. So we got a treaty, hey, go take care of King Baasha for me, and he did, and of course he did, he just got paid a lot of money to do it. Takes care of them, and, and uh, everything's fine, right? It worked out. It must have been God's will because everything was okay the way I had planned it at the end. Mm. Second Chronicles tells us that's not quite the case. Second Chronicles 14 through 16 again lets us in on uh, what happens with a little more detail. Kings is like the, uh, the, the 30-minute sitcom version. Second uh, Chronicles is the two-and-a-half-hour movie version. We get a lot more details. It doesn't just wrap up in, in 30 minutes minus commercials. Hanani, uh, one of the seers in the area, came and rebuked the king of Asa, uh, the king Asa of Judah, and said to him, You depended on the king of Aram, and have not depended on the Lord your God. And because of that, the king of Aram has escaped from you. Now, if you read 1 Kings, they're on good relationship. We, we got a treaty. But God knew that treaty was not worth the paper it was printed on. He knew that Aram was an enemy of Judah. And Asa knew that Aram was a, an enemy of Judah. And he says, because they talk about another battle earlier, he said, were not the Cushites and Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. You have been foolish in this matter. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. Verse 10 of chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles. I wish it said, And Asa repented in sackcloth and ashes. And admitted that he had been against the Lord and had not been faithful to him as his father David had been. But from then on was. Verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 16 actually says, Asa was enraged with the seer and put him in prison because of his anger over this. And Asa mistreated some of the people at that time. Because Asa had not been faithful consistently. Because he did not remain faithful. Because he did not finish well. He didn't have this relationship with the Lord. Godliness. If godliness is up here. And you know. He had one of these things. He's just like everybody else. Some good. Some bad. And at the end. He, he could have pulled out of that nosedive. Oh. We're going to fix this before the end. I've been confronted. I've been convicted. Yes Lord. I have sinned against you. No. No. You know what you did Asa. Shut up! And the rest of his kingdom, the rest of his uh, reign, there was war. It gets worse in verse 23 of, of Kings 15, 1 Kings 15. It says he had foot problems as he got older. Hmm? Is that in 2 Chronicles 2? 
Her phone's reading her Bible to her. Uh, but that's good. That's okay. Um, sorry, in Second Chronicles, we are told of, uh, well, no, in First Kings, verse 23, but in his old age, he developed a disease in his feet. Second Chronicles tells us that in his old age, he didn't pray about that. He trusted in the doctors and not in the Lord. Now, this is not a, oh, don't go to doctors, go to Jesus thing for healing. We ain't talking about that. We're talking about Asa's decline at the end. A faithful man, a, a, a man who followed God, who trusted God, who was after God, who, was, who, 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 like David, was godly. And because he didn't fight to remain consistent he trailed off drastically at the end it's not as hard as it appears and unless we consistently come back to the Lord removing sin leaving family open handed and repenting when we are wrong we too will trail off at the end. And our end may be longer than others. We may trail off in our 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s, but it doesn't matter because if we trail off, we are influencing others. Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, does well. But it's going to be a while before there's another good king. That trailing off matters. Godliness costs, and it will cost us as long as we live. We're not done. I'm not going to point out the oldest person in here, because, well, that'd just be rude. But the oldest person in here is not done. Not done in godliness. Not done in following Jesus. Not done in faithfulness. Not done in removing sin. Not done, maybe, in leaving family. Not done in coming with open hands. The youngest believer in here, hopefully, has a good 90 years of following Jesus. Certainly not done. But it is going to take consistency over those 90 years, or however many years the Lord gives him or her. We've got to understand that we've got to count the cost. Count the cost of godliness. Some of us are going to try to be godly without Jesus. Now, we'd say, well, there's nobody here like that. Oh, yeah, there are people in churches all over the country, and ours too, who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've been to church for a long time. They probably maybe even got baptized. Their name's on the roll. Everything looks good. But they are attempting godliness in their own strength. It will not work. They'll fail. And we can look at their lives. We can step back probably, some of us, and go, oh yeah, I see, I see the lack of faithfulness. I see the lack of godliness. I see the lack of removal of sin. I see the lack of leaving family. I see the lack of open-handedness. They've got a lot of good words. and There's no godliness without Christ. Some of you just, whether you're here or whether you're listening, some of you just want to, you just want to be good. I don't, I don't, 
I, I just want to be done with all this stuff. I don't, I don't need, I don't, I'm not talking about your Jesus stuff. I just want to be good. You can't. You will not. Because it doesn't work that way. Our godliness, our faithfulness, our righteousness is only found in Christ. That's the only place we go. Well, how did Asa find godliness? We ain't talking about Asa, we're talking about you now. Jesus is after Asa. So you don't get to look at Asa and say, well, he didn't. We're not doing any whataboutism in here. We've got Jesus now. And Jesus says, our righteousness only comes from him. So you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. You need to understand the wages of your sin is death. Romans 6.23. The wages of your sin is death. You are unrighteous. And you will never be righteous. You are ungodly. And you will never, never be godly because of your sinfulness. And the wages of those sins, that sin is death. But God gives you something. He gives you eternal life. He takes the wages of that sin, uh, takes death from you and says, I've got something for you. I'm going to, I'm going to save you. I'm going to make you righteous. To make you holy. But it's only through my son Jesus. That gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the only way. That's the only way you're going to find righteousness and holiness. So maybe you need to make that decision today. Maybe you're a believer that needs to make some decisions about your own godliness. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And afterward... You're going to have that opportunity to come forward and do some business with the Lord here at the stage. Maybe you'd like me or Amy to pray for you. She'll be down front here on my left. I'll be over here to my right. Maybe you'd like for us to pray with you. To help you understand that you've got to count the cost for godliness. It ain't cheap, it ain't free, and it ain't easy. But it's worth every penny, every family member, and every possession it may cost us let's pray father thank you for giving us the example of faithfulness in asa but also giving the example of failure in asa lord thank you that we see sadly for him but but we see the holes in his theology in his in his life and Lord, knowing those holes in his life, we get to shore up and, and, and cover those holes in our lives. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to call a man who drifted off at the end. Faithful. Godly. Has a, uh, did what was right in your sight. God, we are going to fail. You know we're going to fail. Solomon said, when they sin, Lord, when we sin, may we like David say, Lord, I have sinned against you. Not respond like Asa and say, get out of here with that mess. Lord, may we return to you and may we count the cost our entire lives to be godly. By your strength, only by your strength, and only through the shed blood of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.
So what's your decision this morning? Maybe you need to accept salvation. Maybe you want to be baptized, make your faith in him public, conform your life to Christ, be godly. You've, you're a believer, but you need to get some things straight. The, the front is open to you to join our church, be a part of our fellowship. Whatever decision you need to make, you can share it on a connection card that's in the seat in front of you, online, send us an email, send us a message, whatever you need to do to let us know how we can pray for you or rejoice with you. But let's stand, let's sing, let's worship, and let's let God do business on our hearts this morning.